Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm Daniel Snyder. In this episode, we're back with audience favorite Alex King from Growth Investor Pro to get his views on some recent earnings and stocks that he is rating as Accumulate. And honestly, one of these stocks piqued my interest since their recent earnings were not exactly welcomed by the market. Also, Alex explains his method of how he utilizes both fundamental and technical analysis within his investing strategy. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guest, my own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, share it with a friend, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and now let's get into the conversation. Alex, I just for the people that don't know who you are, let's just start at the very top. Do you have like a one to two minute background of how you got into investing, your background and, and where you are now? Yeah, sure. Of course. So um, I have a background in institutional investing. I started my career as a venture capitalist, moved into leverage buyouts. And then when I finished that and was investing my own money in public stocks, um, I, I started writing stuff down because I figured that uh, if I didn't write it down, then I'd probably just spray money around and make a terrible job of it. And I figured if I wrote it down, that would make me do good work. And then I thought, what would be really good way to force myself to do good work is to write stuff down and then publish it so i'd I'd known seeking alpha for a long time you know 10 plus years before i started publishing on it and so i thought okay well i'll write some stuff and put it up on there and it was never meant to be a business to be honest but it it took off it was a really big hit quite quickly i came across the seeking alpha marketplace platform and i'd subscribed to a couple of people there i still do and really like that and i thought okay well i wonder if we could do that And, and we did it set a company up uh, it was our first service on seeking help we run a bunch of other stuff as well now but it's still a, a big part of our business and um yeah we run a, a pure play investment research business we're a grown-up company we're sec regulated we have you know there's me i'm a fellow independent director we have many many authors now writing on everything from uh, equities to options to credit to rates to you name it we cover investing we cover trading all sorts of stuff all of which came from basically not wanting to mess up investing my own money. So, you know, it's been a slightly unpredictable ride, but, you know, big, big success. You know, companies grown all the way through 22, which has been a, you know, a delight and a surprise. And um, yeah, um, all started with Seeking Alpha. So we're really grateful for the opportunity. Why don't we just dive right in? Dynatrace is a company that you follow that just reported earnings. Wanted to see what's your overall thought, just top level about Dynatrace. Yeah, so Dynatrace reported uh, today before the open. It's unusual amongst uh, software stocks in the reports before the open. The stock's up. uh, I see the market's dived a bit in the last couple of minutes, but it was up somewhere between 10 and 13, 14% around the open today. Um, Dynatrace is a really boring business in many respects. The thing it does is incredibly boring unless you're a software person. It's software that spends all of its time watching other software. That's what it does. It's called the observability category. Uh, all large companies, all enterprise customers have observability software. They buy it from Dynatrace. They buy it from Datadog. That's DDOG. They buy it from Splunk, SPLK, New Relic, NEWR, another kind of adjacency, uh, PagerDuty, PD. Uh, Dynatrace, along with Datadog, uh, are the newer members of the category. Datadog's higher growth. Dynatrace is uh, an older business, but it's run like a machine. It's a thing of beauty. So the business... Uh, IPOs uh, 2019 from memory, and it came to market with four times leverage, four times trading 12 months uh, EBITDA worth of debt, 
Uh, it's now at, uh, in a net cash position, it's redeemed a billion dollars of leveraged loans in four years from its cash flow. And at the same time, it's grown at 25 to 30% a year. That's what good looks like in fundamentals. Um, the important thing this quarter was, it's the first software stock that's reported, at least in our universe, and we cover most things, that showed accelerated revenue growth. So revenue growth this quarter versus the December quarter in 2021 uh, was a higher rate of revenue growth than was the September quarter versus its prior year. That's really important in, in tech and software. People look for accelerating stories, and it's the first story to accelerate. Now, the charts look bullish for a while. We've had it at accumulated uh, accumulate rating for some time. Uh, it found a, a low towards the end of last year, like many of the tech names, and it's been moving up. But this, I think, can really propel it up. So Dynatrace, we're uh, still at accumulate on. Um, we're bullish on the stock. I own it personally for disclosure. And um, I think that can be a, a real winner. If the market even stays flat for, for this year, I think Dynatrace can win. And if there's any tailwind with the markets, it can be a big success, I think. So I want to ask you, though, so I'm looking here on Seeking Alpha about Dynatrace, ticker symbol DT, and I see the Seeking Alpha authors have a buy, Wall Street analysts have a buy, the quant system's currently a hold, but under the factor grades, the valuation is an F grade, and it looks a little bit overvalued. So is the story here that this company is going to grow into the valuation? Find me a software stock that isn't always overvalued, right? So, you know, the, the, the Seeking Alpha quant system is superb. It's really, really good. But you have to read it through your own lens. Okay, so what you have to know is the best growth stocks always look too expensive through that lens. And so you have to apply your own filter. Okay, um, so if you're looking for low valuation uh, stocks, then you'll find it with basically relatively low growth, very high accounting earnings, high EPS, right, earnings per share, accounting earnings. What those systems don't generally pick up is super high rates of recurring contracted revenue growth, big rates of defer of, um, of cash flow margin and big deferred um, revenue and big remaining performance obligation. Remember we talked about these last time, which is use remaining performance obligation as your guide. So you've got a big fat order book, it's growing quickly. It's a big multiple of trading 12 month revenues. That's a great software stock to own. Um, and so those factor grades just don't look at those things. So nothing wrong with them, it's a great system but you won't find opportunities like this just through those quantitative metrics. So you, you've got to you know, pick the tool that works. Yeah, completely. Just had to ask you that little clarification on that. So talking about software stocks, um, let's talk about one of the behemoths that you also follow that just announced earnings, and that's Microsoft. And we know Microsoft is bigger than just software, but what did you take away from their quarterly earnings um, in regards to the overall company? I mean, and the, the guidance, the AI side of everything, what did you think? Yeah, I thought the numbers were awful, but the market didn't care. So I took that as a big bullish sign for, for the, the, the market, right? We, we said that in our coverage. So, you know, let's look at the numbers right here. So we had 2% two, 2 revenue growth in the quarter, 10% on a trading 12-month basis, you know, cash flow margins were terrible, 37% on a trading 12-month basis. That's low for Microsoft. Um, dreadful numbers. Um, didn't matter. You know, stock held and went up anyway. And so I think that what that tells you is a number of things. One, as always, you know, the market looks forward, not back. So I, I hate the phrase priced in, but what the market will always do is bottom out, you know, before fundamentals bottom out. And as everyone knows, as if they didn't know before, they do know now, you know, monetary policy is prime, prime, prime driver of equity valuations, you know, more important than any individual stock earnings performance. And so I think the stock, the market reaction to Microsoft was basically, okay, it's not great, 
but we're expecting a, a monetary easing coming and so we'll hold the, the stock up on that basis plus which if you look on the technicals on microsoft you know normally microsoft is a really resilient stock you know it doesn't sell off much when the market dumps but it sold off a lot in 22. so in technical terms you know put in a low around the 61.8 percent fib retracement off of its 2021 highs that's a big drop for microsoft so not normal for the stock so i think the stock the market reaction was really okay numbers aren't great it'll probably improve um and you know the selling's done again even in a flat market of course the market can dive tomorrow who knows but in a flat market probably microsoft's hit a low and so again it's a stock we rate to accumulate i only personally for disclosure and we would expect it to move up in the course of, of this year again absent some you know fed apocalypse or something we would expect it to move up this year do you have any opinion or thoughts about the Activision acquisition that Microsoft's trying to do? Kind of. I mean, I, we don't cover Activision. I don't much know the company. Um, read the headlines like everybody else. I, I would say two things. It's the first, I would say, regulatory misstep that uh, the CEO Nadella has made. So one of the things that's marked Nadella's uh, tenure out from the prior CEOs, Gates, Bournemouth and so on, has been an incredibly good lobbying effort you know, Microsoft's a monopoly or quasi-monopoly in many segments, as we all know, and yet regulators have left it alone for a decade. And that's not an accident. That's because Nadella has been better at currying favour uh, in DC and with the EU than the previous CEOs. Previous CEOs are kind of building a China shop method, which is, well, I don't care, we're the big guy. And governments, you know, don't tend to re react well to that. In going after Activision, you know, given Microsoft's other strength in gaming, you know, they've attracted that regulatory attention that's unusual for them. So I view it, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, if they hit problems with that, I think it's Nadella's first major strategic mistake, to be honest. Um, personally, from a Microsoft stock perspective, it, it, I, I don't have a strong view on whether it does or does not complete. I'm not sure it's desperately relevant to the stock going forward. I think, you know, if, if markets recover in 23, Microsoft's going up. You know, if you look at Microsoft's stock chart, it's basically the stock chart of the NASDAQ. It's the same thing. You know, if you look from the 2018 lows uh, through to the 2019 highs, COVID crisis lows, 21 highs, 22 lows, it's the exact chart of the NASDAQ. It, it, I mean, just the same chart. And so Activision will or won't close. There'll be a whole lot of noise about it one way or the other. I'm not sure it's that pertinent to Microsoft's overall stock trajectory. That said, I no kind of expert on Activision. So others may well have a better view on that. What about their angle with AI? We know that they've been putting a lot of money towards open AI. They're going to end up with 49%, I think, share in the company. Is that going to be one of your big catalysts that you think will? I think them? so. I think so. I, again, if you look at, I mean, Nadella has been a genius CEO. I mean, up there with Lisa Sue for just taking on, you know, an old established business and just dragging it up. That's right. And, and, the same as Lisa Siri, he's achieved it because he's an engineer, you know, a software developer in his case, a silicon engineer in Lisa Siri's case at AMD. And uh, you have to give him great credit for dragging Microsoft into the cloud era. You know, now Microsoft is synonymous with cloud, right? Everyone uses uh, Office 365 or some version of it. Um, everyone knows about the Azure cloud product. But, you know, when Nadella took over, Microsoft still had that uh air of resisting the internet and trying to process everything you know uh, uh, on a on a device in the enterprise or the consumer's home and and just reflecting that whole gates bormer reluctance to engage and he's changed that completely and that's what's propelled microsoft up from you know the mid 60s to where it is today 
And the next leg, I'm I'm sure, is as you say, is is open AI and AI. It, more, more generally, but I think they've picked a good candidate with OpenAI. They invested early. You know, as you know, they're talking about, as you just mentioned, a, a new investment round now. Uh, they also get, it's a, from the coverage I've seen, it's a preferred investment, so they get priority uh, returns on a number of other investors. And over and above the financial benefit, I'm, I would be confident that they will integrate the, the technology well into their own. And so, yeah, I would see AI, un, unlike Activision, as a big driver of the next you know, not not just this year, probably take longer than that, but the next whole growth rate for Microsoft. And again, you, you've got to put that credit at the door of the CEO. And it probably wasn't his personal idea. I'm sure he has many lieutenants reporting to us. But he, as the gatekeeper of what money gets spent on and what doesn't, I think it's a really good allocation of capital. These things, you know, um, to, to your point about valuation earlier, these things always look ridiculously expensive when they happen. If you remember when Meta Platforms, Facebook as was, bought instagram for a billion dollars ridiculous right no revenue billion dollars complete nonsense ridiculous uh whatsapp 19 billion dollars ridiculous no revenue turned out actually both found fabulous acquisitions because of that technical vision of the founder and, and i think open ai will be the same for microsoft yeah so I, I agree now you just mentioned uh in that last answer about amd and of course amd released earnings and, and we've been talking about lisa sue and everything else but you had this great article that you put up about intel and with <laughs> intel's earnings and Kind of just a, a quick background for everybody is you say this is possibly the worst quarter of any company we have reviewed since you started your service. That is a bold statement, sir. So I got to ask you. I mean, why? <laughs> well, well, let me t- let me just run you through. I'm just looking at my other screen. This the Intel numbers. Okay, so this is a company, Intel, which supposedly is the bedrock of the semiconductor industry, right? So uh, until quite recently, if you wanted a, a, a you know a, a good um, desktop or laptop computer you chose an intel processor until quite recently uh until quite recently they were absolutely dominant in the server market and miss mobile as everybody knows got late into um, apple but nonetheless you know their home territories were holding up but this company in a in a gdp plus three percent environment right everyone's talking about a recession but not in a recession right we talked about this last time you know when you had me on last time and i said there isn't a recession we just since then we've come on at US GDP plus 2.9%. The economy's good, right? People are buying more stuff. Okay. So in that environment, Intel managed to shrink its revenues by 32% this quarter. Um, it managed to take its gross margins down from a peak of 58% uh, in the June 20 quarter down to 43% now. And uh, its uh, cash flow margins were uh, even more spectacularly bad. Um, which for a company that used to be just a cash machine is bizarre. Um, the company is in, you know, a, a tailspin. And it all results from a decade plus of underinvestment in manufacturing process technology, design technology, um, management teams run by accountants, not by engineers. It is a carbon copy, in my view, or silicon copy, I guess, of Boeing. Right, which is a stock we also cover. You know, we cover growth names. We also cover value names. And Boeing, we've been covering for some time, and we rated it accumulate for quite some time now. And it has been a rocket ride of a stock, based on awful fundamentals. I mean, the only company with worse fundamentals we cover than Intel is Boeing. And Boeing, if it wasn't called Boeing, would be bankrupt because nobody would lend it a dollar. But because it's called Boeing, thirteen banks got together when the thing couldn't generate, you know, two cents of cash to bail it out wasn't called a bailout. You didn't see a Fed guarantee written anywhere, federal uh, government guarantee anywhere, but it was there quietly. 
And um, Boeing has been recovering fantastically off the lows. It's up again today on the basis that the second Chinese carrier uh, is restarting 737 MAX operations. Intel, uh, we think, you know, forget the numbers, doesn't matter, right? What matters about Intel is US semiconductor policy. You know, the US, as we all know, is in a, a trade war with China. Um, it started out as a really noisy trade war under the previous uh, administration, and it's developed into a very quiet trade war. Um, there's less treating, but actually the actions are tough, as tough or tougher. And very specifically uh, in semiconductor, the US is reshoring semiconductor manufacturing. So for a decade, two decades plus, there's been a gradual uh, shift of semiconductor manufacturing uh, eastwards. You know, Taiwan Semiconductor, TSM, uh, is the biggest merchant provider, but SMSC, uh, the Chinese uh, manufacturing merchant manufacturing business, has grown uh, tremendously. And the strategy was uh, that US fabulous semiconductor companies would share design IP and manufacturing IP with Chinese and other uh, Asian manufacturing partners in order to basically get preferred contracts with those partners. And the partners got some IP benefit. That's come under policy review. It's been determined that that's, you know, capital B bad, national security risk, blah, blah, blah. You can argue about the merits of that, but that's the, that's the, the decision that the administration has come to. And so this reshoring exercise is in full flight now. That means heavy, heavy, heavy semiconductor capex and manufacturing plants all across the US. You're seeing uh, TSM benefit from that, another stock that we uh, rate to accumulate and a big performer, own it personally, uh, even Warren Buffett who hates tech is a big owner of TSM, right? Um, Intel kind of has to succeed. If the US reshoring of semiconductor manufacturing is to succeed, Intel kind of has to succeed with it. And so I would expect Intel stock to be the beneficiary of basically federal funds flows, um, bank guarantees of all kinds, capital funding of all kinds coming from all different quarters. I'd expect the stock to benefit from that. Not quickly, not in a way that anybody likes. You know, no one is going to get excited about Intel products anytime soon. But if you believe that the, uh, the, the CHIPS Act, as it's called, the reshoring is going to continue, then Intel is likely to be a beneficiary. So we, we, rate, we rate Intel accumulated, but for entirely different reasons to AMD, right? AMD, great product, financials, great um, growth, you know, everything you want to see in a growth stock. Intel, just a disaster when you look at the numbers, but I think the stock will go up anyway. It's really interesting that you give it an accumulate, even though the fundamentals have been deteriorating. And, you know, as of today, today's Wednesday, February 1st, when we're recording this, we heard the earnings from Lisa Sue and AMD. And there is talking about how data centers is really a good growth driver for them. They're seeing the weakness in gaming and the client side, kind of just throwing this hypothesis out there. Is there any reason to believe that Intel might eventually just become a foundry company with how they're kind of seeming to fall behind on the client side of things as well? Logically, every reason. Um, and I think if you were doing this as a business school class and we all sat around and said, well, all the management team at Intel, were just they just walked out the door we at business school have just bought Intel. The hell are we going to do with it? And I think a good strategy would be exactly like you say, which is just can design, you know, sell off all the units. But don't forget they've got a big position in Mobileye, uh, that just IPO, which probably should generate some benefits, um, and move to manufacturing. There's two two problems with that. The first, which is they're not very good at manufacturing, right? <laughs> That's the number one problem. And they've had the the the, the big uh change in Intel's fortunes came a couple of years back when they they made a really rocky move to the 10 nanometer process node, which was a really smooth move at TSM and others. And that really set them back. And again, you, just like Boeing's engineering, it's just, 
I hate to labor an analogy, but it's a really good analogy. You know, Boeing's problems didn't start because they had accidents with 737 Maxes. They started because they underinvested in engineering a long time ago. And that led to, you know, upgrading an old plane way beyond its capability, trying to use software to compensate for what are really hardware problems. And Intel, and, and as a result of basically underinvesting and financially led management teams without enough engineering input. Intel, same thing. So the problem is if you just said today, okay, we're going to be a merchant foundry business, they don't have a good enough foundry business yet. So I, I think probably what you would be doing if you're on the board of Intel right now is saying where we need to move to is number one, improve the manufacturing technology. Number two, start to catch up on the design front with AMD and others and see how that goes. I think the second point is, is that corporate DNA and emotional attachments to lines of business really matters. You know, the reason that business school solutions are almost never implemented is emotion. So if you went around the Intel boardroom right now and said, I tell you what, in five years, we're not going to make CPUs. We're not going to make GPUs. We're not going to make any, we're not going to design anything. We're just going to make other people's stuff. You would find horror on the faces because that isn't the origin of the business. And it's still not the DNA of the business in their minds. You know, they're a fantastic integrated device manufacturer that's just hit a couple of snags. You know, and this upstart AMD is making a lot of noise, but you know, hey, they they still they're enter still on also ran. You know, ATI, you know, they disappeared a long time ago. Um, you know, uh, th this is a temporary blip. You know, in their hearts, that's what they think. They're wrong, of course, but that's what they think. And so, I think the idea of moving to purely merchant manufacturing is a really good one, but it's probably not one that the company is emotionally capable of doing, even if they were to improve their manufacturing technology. So. I agree with you, but I don't think it's going to happen. I just had to ask because I know how much they're putting into CapEx. And as you're talking about with the politics and things that are going on here in the U.S., I want to go ahead and move forward, though, into another sector, kind of get away from, I mean, I'm sure we'll re revisit tech here in a second because we want to talk about some cybersecurity names. But I want to ask you about this defense name, uh, yeah. specifically L3 Harris. They announced earnings. You put out a really good recap article. You know, you mentioned the backlog is increasing 5% over year. Revenue is up 5.24% year over year for this company, beating by 220 million. Um, defense, the world, the war in the Ukraine. I mean, NATO <laughs> alliance, they're all pushing more purchasing orders. I mean, is, is this a strong accumulate for you? Is this an accumulate? Is this a hold? What, what's going on with this one? Um, if if, any, if anyone's watching this and that you read our stuff, you know that most of our charts use uh, so-called Elliott Wave and Fibonacci. So there's, there's you know, any number of technical methods that can work. We just happen to like those. Um, LHX is has been at what's called a wave four low. So basically, if you think about stocks get happy in five waves up, right? One up, two down, three up, four down, five up. And um, a wave four is... You know the last sell-off before a final sort of move up before the whole thing resets and lhx is around a wave follow right now and so what that means is we think it can run up um at some point it will roll over probably in the next you know year 18 months something like that and it will start to move down and when it starts to move down it'll probably move down for a while in our opinion but for now yeah we think there's good solid upside it, it is a dividend payer it, it does share buybacks it does all of those things and why we like LHX is because it's not it's not an old line defense contractor, you know, where all the revenue is based off of, well, you better get the next generation of fighter plane out quickly or, you know, the strategic um, missile review better go your way or, 
it, it's a much more diversified business. It's basically a technology business. It, it was built around the old uh, Harris radio business, and it's been gone through you know, serial M&A, both acquisitions and disposals. And it's run essentially as a holding company. Um, financials are a little bit hard to follow from a distance because there's been so many acquisitions and disposals. But if you just take a snapshot, it's nicely cash generative, balance sheet safe, um, the buybacks continue apace, very financially focused management team, which we talked about has its downsides, but for a, basically a, an acquisition play, that's probably what you want. And they've set themselves out a stall of being what they call the sixth prime. Okay, so their goal is, you know, we want to get up there with uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, you know, Boeing, you know, all these names. And it's getting there. And the smart thing they did is they said, right, space is going to be our thing. Okay, so if you look at their um, line of uh, business in space, if you look at their um, satellite and satellite tracking business, it's doing really well. And they did a smart thing recently, which is they are in the process of acquiring a company called Aerojet Rocketdyne, AJRD, which we've covered for a long time. Uh, so Lockheed tried to buy it a couple of years ago, and it was blocked uh, by the FTC on vertical integration grounds. So the, the argument goes, um, you know, there's too much vertical integration uh, in, in their case, hypersonic uh, missiles or one thing. There's not really any regulatory hazard with this deal as far as I can see. Now, it was mentioned by Senator Warren uh, in DC the other day as well, this shouldn't happen. There will be no doubt be a lot of lobbying by various characters that say this deal shouldn't happen. But on a spreadsheet, the deal should go through. And what that would mean is that they become basically a duopoly provider of solid rocket most solid rocket motors alongside Northrop Grumman. That's a really important sector. If you're going to build hypersonic missiles, which is the next generation of missiles, you have to have uh, solid rocket uh, propulsion systems. Um, the next generation of nuclear missiles, which is currently under development, primed by Northrop Grumman, huge $90 billion contract. Uh, you need solid rocket motors for those things. And although Northrop owns the other provider, they are contractually obliged to use Aerojet uh, motors. And so there's big growth ahead for that sector. Um, and LHX has been smart in basically moving to where the puck is going to be. So it's a solid business, good financials. Um, I, I'm not sure there's life-changing returns on offer if you're going long at this point, but there's good solid returns. And again, it, it pays a, a modest dividend. I forget what the yield is. It's nothing dramatic, but it does pay a dividend. So amongst the defence names, it, it's probably the best risk reward for us at this point. The others, your Lockheed's, uh, Northrop Grumman's, the rest of it, look to us to have rolled over already, right? So the backlogs are climbing. If you look at fundamentals, sure, you get excited. But if you look at what's been priced in already, they, they look probably to have topped for this cycle. Um, Boeing, different. Boeing's, I think, going to keep going up. But, but that's primarily because of the civilian aerospace side. But yeah, LHX, again, we rate it, accumulate, I own it. For disclosure i think it's, it's got it's got a solid uh, future but we're not talking you know two three times your money in the next 12 18 months it's more modest than that i'm looking here on seeking alpha it says the dividend yield is uh 2.09 percent for those yeah. that are wondering about that so i think it's pretty interesting how you you respond uh your answer with that one you started with the technicals and then you kind of wrap up with the story and the fundamentals so for those people that are listening that might not know about the service that you're running how much do you put weight on the technicals versus fundamentals when you're deciding what's a accumulated what's sell? Uh, case by case, I would say. Um, I mean, to state the obvious, what you really want to see is fantastic fundamentals that are improving. You know, last time I was on, we talked about using that sort of little time machine window of remaining performance obligation or backlog in the case of defense companies. And so the, the perfect buy setup for us for going long is 
fundamentals improving that no one's noticed. That happens more often than you would think um, be, because people don't know where to look, right? People aren't trained. Wall Street won't help you because they don't want you to know. CNBC won't help you because they don't know what they're talking about and or they're giving you, you know, disinformation. Um, so, but people don't know where to look. And so if you can find a company that has improving fundamentals that the market hasn't gotten onto yet, and you can find the stock at a major technical low, that's a great setup for us because obviously you can always be wrong with the direction of stock, but if you're a major technical low, then you can place a stop loss not very far away from where the stock is today. And that should give you a good risk reward. The trouble with stop losses, as everyone knows, is if you place them, you know, if you think, well, I don't want the stop loss to trip, to trip so I'm going to place it a mile away from where the stock is today, that'll never trip. Because when it does, it blows a huge hole in your account. Whereas if you can buy these names at near a technical low, when hopefully the stock has bounced and starting to move up a little bit, then your stop loss can be, you know, five, 10% away, 20% at most for big volatile names, but you've got some good upside. And um, you've seen that a lot in, in tech stocks right now, a lot, lot. So um, the, we talked about Dynatrace earlier, first stock in our coverage to see accelerating revenue growth, um, cybersecurity, you know, everyone's forgotten about cybersecurity, right? And I think it's because there's an actual war happening. Right. So before there were actually bombs and missiles raining down on civilians in Europe, I think people were really worried about all the damage cybersecurity could do. And it was, you know, top of mind in the media. Everyone worried about the home computer, all of that. And now people see what an actual war is like. People are a bit less worried about it. Correctly, probably. But, you know, enterprises are still spending on this stuff. And so um, companies like uh, Zscaler, Cloudflare, all these companies have great fundamentals, but they're at major, major technical lows. You know, uh, Cloudflare, uh, that's ticker net, N-E-T. If you look at the chart, it's it's retraced to uh, right around the 78.6% Fibonacci retracement of the whole move up from its um, post-IPO lows, basically. That's, in, in translating into English, that is a colossally huge, massive sell-off. But what's important is it's found support at that level. And that's not an accident. That's, that's, that's just algorithmic trading going, well, you know, a stock that's, dump that far, usually find support around this FIB level, and it's started to move up. Now, again, anything can happen tomorrow, but you have great fundamentals and a stock that's absolutely been dumped, thrown in the, in the dumpster and set on fire. Uh, and, and so that's a great setup for us. Zscaler, ticker ZS, CS, um, that's another, um, another example. Same thing, great fundamentals, really sold off hard, looks like it started to move up. Everyone's forgotten about cybersecurity, you know, if if GDP is growing at 2.9%, enterprises are going to keep spending on this stuff. And so the fundamentals for these businesses are going to hold up and or improve. Um, and then the stocks ought to follow suit in a flat market. So um, technicals versus fundamentals, you need both. And you need to think about, you know, the wider picture. So everyone now is a macro investing expert. <laughs> you know, the whole of Fintuit knows all about macro investing now, right? Um, so we all know now how important monetary policy is. That's a new thing. It wasn't important in 21, apparently, but it is important now. Um, and you also need to know about, you know, the policy impact on companies. We've even talked about Intel. Um, so technicals, fundamentals, yeah, all, all those things. In the short term, um, technicals probably always matter more. Um, and over the very long term, you know, multiple years, fundamentals are at least as important. But to be honest, even over months and years, technicals matter as much. And, and the reason for that is the behavior of large institutional accounts, right? Large institutional accounts manage so much money 
that they have to be able to create returns from nowhere. And so this accumulate, you know, markup, distribute, markdown cycle that we like to use, that's just trying to spot that pattern at work in large account uh, trading and then, you know, follow a little bit behind. Um, and so, you know, the reason that sometimes stocks move up and down inexplicably is simply that, you know, big money's moving them around. Because if you don't move them around, you can't generate returns. Now, the trick, of course, is just follow behind big money a little bit. You know, um, you can spot what they're doing if you're cute and you're careful and just follow that. Uh, so technicals, fundamentals, yeah, both in, in differing measures per stock. But, it, but I, you can't, I don't believe you can't successfully invest in public stocks without having a really good understanding of both. So I want to go back a second to, you were talking about cybersecurity, right? Specifically Zscaler and Cloudflare. Uh, Zscaler earnings come up on February 23rd and yep. Cloudflare is on February 9th. But both of these stocks I was looking here uh, on the Seeking Alpha Symbol pages, they're both down like 50% over the last year in, in, in yeah. share price. So is it just kind of like this kind of just yells exhaustion to you and you're expecting earnings beat top and bottom line from both of these companies? Uh, the, the reason these two names are, are important is because in cybersecurity, the market's moving, uh, oh, the, the end market, the enterprise buyer is moving away from uh, endpoint protection, which is a fancy name for protecting the stuff that's on computers, be they you know use, end user devices or uh, data center devices, and towards in-network security. Now, it, it's not either or, you need both, but more of the spend we think is going to gravitate towards in-network security. And, and that's because it scales better. That's like, you know, why do you do cloud computing at all? Answer, because it's it's cheaper per any given CPU uh, cycle. It's cheaper to do it centrally and distribute the outcome than to do it on a distributed basis. Well, security is the same. So if you can basically protect everything, all the resources that are within the network at network level, and then treat any uh, onboard, onboarding device, you know, computer, phone, whatever it might be, as a potential threat, um, and then clarify whether it is or is not a threat and then admit it if it's not broadly what people call a zero trust network environment that's a cheaper way to do it than trying to protect the device itself and stop all the bad stuff getting onto the device the two leading providers of um zero trust networks are zscaler which is the leader and cloudflare which is a, a, a catching up so cloudflare didn't come from security came from uh, net network acceleration but it's moved towards security quite well so this is a category that spend is just going to keep coming and it's going to gain overall security spend from the likes of um, CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1 uh, and so forth. The stocks are beaten up because in both cases they had you know, exceptionally high valuations. And to be honest, they still do. If you look at any valuation metric on either of those names, it's on a fundamental basis, it's still a big valuation. And that will put many people off and there's no argument that it just is a big valuation. Um, they're also beaten up because they both get treated as unprofitable tech, but that's not quite true. Um, if you look through an EPS perspective, yeah, they're both disaster areas. But Zscaler is incredibly cash generative. It's EPS negative because of the heavy stock-based comp. Uh, stock-based comp normally doesn't cause you know, us any sweat. Zscaler is, is, is pretty egregious. It's so bad that their uh, executive comp plan almost didn't get passed at the last uh, shareholders meeting. And it was something like, I don't know exact numbers, but it was it was less than 60% votes for. It's pretty remarkable. I don't see anything like it. Um, but it does generate a lot, lot of cash. Cloudflare needs to learn how to generate cash. So far, it's treated cash as completely expendable. Um, 
they have a big heavy capex bill it was around 19 percent of revenue last quarter i think on a trailing 12 month basis they have not at all learned the trick of generating cash from working capital so cloudflare has adopted as a tactic well you pay us later and they've done that you know for good reasons which is it helps them win market share from cisco and other incumbents because you've got to give a, you know a reason why you want to buy the insurgent but it's kind of time that changed because once a company moves their network their security onto one of these providers you you're really not going to move it off unless something bad happens you have a series of bad outages or something or support's truly awful for two years you're going to keep it there and so cloudflare needs to learn to charge more upfront to get paid more upfront less in arrears and turn their cash flow around from heavily negative to initially neutral and positive so i think as an out, as a an outsider if you look at these two stocks there's plenty to put you off to be honest what would put you off with zscaler is you go the stock-based comp makes my eyes bleed and again this stuff doesn't normally bother me but it, it is big and that that's toxic to many people cloudflare you look at it and go you know how about collecting some cash you know it's a pretty simple reason you know you're in business to make money you know so why don't you try um, and, and those are fundamental problems for the business. I, I personally am on the view that the stocks more than reflect that. They both have hit technical reversal points and have found support. Now we'll see what happens with the you know rates decision this week. Uh, you know, sure they could sell off more. Anything can happen. But but long term, I would be surprised if these two names didn't start to move up pretty considerably. And once everyone remembers how important the category cybersecurity is, I would expect the revenue growth to accelerate once more and the stocks to you know to do really well um you do kind of have to hold your nose a bit when you're buying these around now but 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 if you've been around tech long enough you know that with these sorts of companies you know you always have to hold your nose when you're buying them um because it, it never feels good at the time but in retrospect if you don't buy them you look at them and go well it was obvious you know why didn't i you know look at the chart. of course it was obvious i'm an idiot and if you do buy them and it goes down you think oh i'm an idiot you know how could i pay you know, 15 times revenue in this environment, you know. So um, how do you solve for that? Well, either don't buy them if it's all too too scary and volatile, it's understandable, or solve for it with position size, solve for it with, you know, stops, trading stops if it moves up, you know, risk management. Um, but a house view, cybersecurity is not at all participated in the rally off of the Q4 22 lows. And that's overdue, I think. And I, I would be surprised if it didn't happen in 23. Excellent conversation today, Alex. I really appreciate all the insights. I mean, we went through so much in this episode. I want to give you the opportunity. I mean, if people want to follow up with your research, you can get in contact with you. Where can they reach out to you and follow you? Yeah, um, if, if you look at, there's two places, uh, Seeking Alpha Profiles, best place to go for Seeking Alpha content. We run, you know, a super, super, super low cost newsletter. You know, you can sign up for $49 a year just to get a flavor of what we do. It's got, um, you know, timed uh, entries and exits. Great place to start with that stuff. We run a premium service, Growth Investor Pro. It's a really bad name for a great service. So it covers growth, value, individual stocks, ETFs, investing, trade, you name it. Anyway, um, we've got a half-off offer on that right now until middle of the month. So it's $9.99 a year. Uh, rack rate's 2000 a year. So have a look at that. Uh, and for our other stuff, check our website, recessioncapitalresearch.com. But go to our Seeking Alpha profile first. Let's go all of our Seeking Alpha content on it. Yeah. And I just got to reiterate, I mean, I was just looking at the Dynatrace, which is why we started off the episode with it. I mean, you, you are on top of the earning calls and, and, and provide the viewpoint almost immediately afterwards. Yeah. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. Anything else you want to say before we get out of here? 
just a big thank you. Love doing these sessions. Love watching your other episodes. So appreciate it. And um, happy to come back anytime at all. So great work you guys do. Well, like I said earlier, you are a fan favorite. We've heard so much good feedback about the, pri the previous episode we had with you. So we'll definitely have you back again. I know everybody loves it. Thanks a lot. Just a reminder, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you again next week with a new episode and a new guest.